0: Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox, here are today's top stories. The FBI is leaving no stone unturned in its recent flurry of criminal investigations. Find out what they've seized from the MyPillow guy. Primary season is over. We have the latest results for you and lawmakers on Capitol Hill are in full campaign mode for the midterms. We'll tell you their messaging strategies. Supporting the needs of illegal immigrants isn't free, but just how much is it costing taxpayers? A new report shows the amount has increased by $20 billion per year since President Biden took office. The Biden administration racing to avert a rail shutdown, hosting talks with railroad and union officials. And an educator with the Department of Defense brings what she calls woke ideas to the military. We hear from a retired lieutenant general how such ideas would have affected his missions. The FBI has renewed its focus on Trump-related investigations with multiple subpoenas and warrants. Yesterday, FBI agents visited MyPillow owner Mike Lindell.
1: NTD's Arlene Richards has that story. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell and My Pillow chief I'm executive Michael. Mike Lindell said on his own Lindell TV that the FBI took his cell phone
2: cars pulled up in front of us to the side of us and behind us. And I said, um, these are either bad guys or the FBI.
1: Lindell said he was stopped at a Hardee's restaurant in Mankato, Minnesota, when the FBI arrived and they asked him questions for about 15 minutes.
2: So they started asking me these questions about uh, Colorado, about Dominion Machine, Colorado, Um, Tina Peters and uh, Doug Frank.
1: In February, 2021, Dominion Voting Systems sued Lindell for alleged defamation. They accused Lindell of using a marketing campaign to push a narrative that Dominion machines were used to steal the 2020 election. Tina Peters is the Republican Colorado County clerk indicted for an alleged security breach of election equipment. She faces 10 criminal charges, including conspiracy, criminal impersonation, identity theft, and official misconduct. Last week, she pleaded not guilty at a court hearing. And Doug Frank is an Ohio educator who claimed Dominion voting machines manipulated the 2020 election. Lindell said after those questions, the FBI told him what they came for.
2: Then he goes, um, well, I got, I got some bad news. And I go, OK, here it comes, right? He goes, uh, we're taking your cell phone. We have a warrant for your cell phone.
1: A spokesperson for the FBI's Denver field office confirmed that the FBI served a warrant.
2: If you read this... They, have, they, would have, they would have done everything they could because they could, you know, the phone was right there. Believe me, they would have got the fault.
1: The warrant was authorized by a federal court in Colorado in connection with a possible felony. Tristan Snell, a lawyer who led the prosecution of Trump University, tweeted The FBI does not just seize a phone, especially in a high profile case. A federal judge already found probable cause that Mike Lindell is connected to crimes. Former President Trump spoke out about the warrant on Truth Social, saying we are now officially living in a weaponized police state, rigged elections and all. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York.
0: And the battle for control of Congress is now in full swing with primaries over. Here's NTD's Melina Cup with the last of those primary results and how the candidates are kicking off their campaigns to win over voters this fall.
3: New Hampshire, analysts predict, is a battleground state for control of the U.S. Senate. Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan easily won her party's nomination and will face Don Buldick this fall. Buldick is running on a pro-Trump campaign and a toss-up congressional seat in the state. Republicans are eyeing to flip New Hampshire's first district from blue to red. 25-year-old Caroline Levitt, who worked as a press secretary assistant under the Trump administration, won the nomination.
4: There's people in Washington on both sides of the aisle right now that have literally been down there longer than I have been alive, clinging to power. Our government needs to be shaken up.
3: She'll face current Democrat representative Chris Pappas in November. These were the last of the primary races, and now lawmakers are in full campaign mode. On Capitol Hill today, both sides trying to make their case for why voters should turn out to support their party this fall.
5: Extreme MAGA Republicans are trying to take away your freedom, freedom to make your own reproductive health care decisions.
3: And this extreme MAGA label is being used over and over again from Democrats at all levels. Of course, Senate Leader Chuck Schumer, we hear this repeatedly from him on the Senate floor. And we remember those headlines last week where President Biden strongly pushed this rhetoric so we can see how Democrats are hopeful that by using this rhetoric and painting Republicans as the party of extreme policies, they're hopeful this will help them in the elections this fall. Now, we asked Republican Whip Steve Scalise their response to this and how they plan to counter this label and separate themselves from it here's what he told us
6: yeah, the country's tired of
7: all the divisiveness I think both sides Republicans and Democrats universally panned Joe Biden's negative speech that he held out in front of Independence Hall
3: Republicans hammered what they called the Democrats inability to tackle inflation Historically, the president's party loses seats during the first midterm cycle of the administration. But House Speaker Pelosi is keeping a rosy outlook for Democrats' chances of holding power.
2: And so we're pretty excited about the prospects.
3: Midterm elections are just eight weeks away. The House will leave D.C. in a few short weeks to hit the campaign trails all the way up until Election Day. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Wisecup, NTD News.
0: And President Biden voted in Delaware's primary at the last minute. He made the unannounced trip Tuesday evening just before polls closed. Republicans criticized the pop-up trip because he flew over on the taxpayer's dime. But the White House today defended the trip, saying it's what worked best with the president's heavy schedule. And an update on the potential railroad strike that could disrupt freight across the country. The Labor Secretary today hosted talks in Washington with freight, railroad, and union officials. The aim is to avert a rail shutdown looming as early as Friday. It could disrupt cargo shipments and impede food and fuel supplies. Zachary Goleman reports.
8: Racing to head off a potentially catastrophic railway shutdown that could come as early as Friday U.S. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh hosted representatives from both railroads and freight train worker unions in Washington Wednesday, searching for common ground. Railroads including Union Pacific, Berkshire Hathaway, CSX and Norfolk Southern have until a minute after midnight on Friday to reach tentative deals with three holdout unions representing about 60,000 workers. President Joe Biden's administration said it was making contingency plans over fears the labor strife could snarl deliveries of critical goods.
9: We're going to be very honest. A, sh- a shutdown would have a tremendous impact.
8: Here's White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre.
9: The shutdown is not acceptable. That is not something uh, that we want. It risks harming families. It risks farming, uh, harming businesses and whole communities. And we have made that clear empathetically and repeatedly uh, to both parties. A shutdown
8: could freeze almost 30 percent of U.S. cargo shipments, stoke inflation, impede supplies of food and fuel, cost the U.S. economy about $2 billion per day, and cause transportation woes. If agreements are not reached, there could be union strikes or employer lockouts. But the railroads and unions could also agree to stay at the bargaining table. Or the Democratic-led U.S. Congress could intervene by extending talks or establishing settlement terms.
0: And Amtrak will cancel all of its long-distance trains tomorrow as a precaution. Amtrak workers are not involved in the labor dispute, but the company operates on tracks owned and maintained by freight railroads. And the U.S. is planning on spending $900 million on electric vehicle charging stations. President Biden made the announcement in a speech at the Detroit Auto Show today.
2: So today... I'm pleased to announce we're approving funding for the first 35 states, including Michigan, to build their own electric charging infrastructure throughout their state.
0: The president says in the future, EV charging stations will be as easy to find as gas stations. Congress and Biden have pledged billions of dollars to speed up the transition to electric vehicles. Still, gasoline-powered cars are well represented at the Detroit Auto Show. Last year, Biden set a goal to have half of new car sales, be electric vehicles or plug-in hybrids, by 2030. And the Justice Department is charging three Iranian nationals for a broad hacking campaign. They're accused of cyber attacks targeting U.S. power companies and local governments.
2: The cyber criminals attacked hundreds of victims around the world including here in New Jersey and elsewhere in the United States, as well as in the United Kingdom, Israel, and even in Iran, where they operated.
0: The indictment says the three Iranians engaged in a series of ransomware schemes starting in October 2020. The victims reportedly include a New Jersey local government, a Mississippi power company, an Indiana utility, and a domestic violence shelter in Pennsylvania. The hackers demanded money and some of the victims paid. The Justice Department says, quote, the government of Iran has created a safe haven where cyber criminals acting for personal gain flourish. The three alleged hackers are believed to be in Iran, so it's unlikely that they will face trial in the U.S. And a new report estimates the cost of the benefits and services that the U.S. provides to illegal immigrants. It says taxpayers will pay an extra $20 billion per year to meet the needs of the approximately 2.3 million immigrants who have entered the U.S. illegally since President Biden took office. NTD's Jason Perry has the story.
6: Since President Biden took office, it's estimated that approximately 2.3 million immigrants have entered America illegally, including about 1 million gotaways. And according to a new report by the Federation for American Immigration Reform, or FAIR, taxpayers will pay an extra $20 billion per year to meet the needs of the illegal immigrants. That's in addition to the $140 billion a year taxpayers already pay to provide benefits and services for long-term illegal immigrants, according to the report. But it's going to be a big, big cost for a long, long time. I spoke with Todd Benzman of the Center for Immigration Studies and author of Overrun. Most of these people who are coming in or being allowed in don't have medical insurance. So they're just gonna be you know, write-offs for hospitals who are then gonna go to the federal government and ask for bailouts. Uh, cities already are asking for federal bailouts just to, to cover the cost of homeless shelters and food and clothing and all that sort of thing. He added that millions of children of the illegal immigrants will also be entering the American public school system. And we're only halfway through the, the Biden term. There's another two years they're going to put on here. So whatever they're coming up with now is probably half what it's going to be. Dan Stein, the president of FAIR, which published the report, said the additional $20 billion could be used to support important needs of the American public. He cited a recent study by the Russell Sage Foundation. It found that more than one-third of families that work full-time year-round do not earn enough to cover a basic family budget that includes food, housing, medical care, and other necessities. We reached out to the White House for comment, but we didn't hear back before airtime. Jason Perry, NTD News.
0: The Department of Defense employs a self-proclaimed woke administrator in a leading educational role. What's the impact of her ideas in the military? Our reporter spoke with a retired lieutenant general.
5: Calissa Wing works with the Department of Defense Education Activity. She's the chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. Fox News shared this tweet where she described herself as a woke administrator. The outlet also reports she once responded to a Twitter user saying, I'm exhausted by 99% of the white men in education and 95% of the white women where can I get a break from white nonsense for a while? NTD spoke with retired Air Force Lieutenant General Thomas McInerney, who was a fighter pilot for 35 years. He has opposite views from Wing. He says he once led 45 fighter pilots on a mission and so-called woke ideas would only have hindered him from doing his job.
2: I didn't recognize anybody's skin colors, it has nothing to do with performance in military. So I'm embarrassed, ashamed, for the military leadership and the civilian leadership in the Department of Defense that are, first of all, hiring people that think like this, and second of all, institute critical race theory and these other Marxist ideas.
5: Wing has written several children's books, such as What is Anti-Racism and What Does It Mean to Defund the Police? Some consider ideas like anti-racism, which come from critical race theory, to divide people against each other. General McInerney says those ideas shouldn't be involved in the Department of Defense, since it's important to be united and have each other's backs.
2: Any team sport, how do you bring everybody together? The military is exactly the same thing. And so these
5: are deliberate, divisive means and uh, procedures that they are trying to use on it. The general says there are actors who try to weaken the U.S. military and its status as a global superpower. NTD reached out to Department of Defense Education Activity to ask whether they agree with Wings' ideas, but didn't hear back before broadcast. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News.
0: PARENTS AND LEADERS ACROSS THE COUNTRY HAVE RAISED CONCERNS ABOUT TEACHING ETHNIC STUDIES AND CRITICAL RACE THEORY IN SCHOOLS, SAYING THEY'RE DIVISIVE. ONE FORMER HIGH SCHOOL TEACHER TELLS WHY SHE QUIT HER JOB AFTER SPEAKING OUT AGAINST THE CURRICULUM.
10: Callie FONTANIA IS A FORMER CALIFORNIA HIGH SCHOOL TEACHER OF 15 YEARS. SHE EXPLAINS TO CALIFORNIA INSIDERS CIMA KARAMI WHY SHE QUIT HER JOB AFTER SPEAKING OUT AGAINST CRITICAL RACE THEORY AND ETHNIC STUDIES
9: is basically dividing our kids by color, by the color of their skin, and teaching them to look at everything through the lens of color rather than being a colorblind society.
10: Fontanilla says she first noticed critical race theory when she looked at a lesson plan she shared with another teacher. She explained that it became a ninth grade requirement after Governor Gavin Newsom signed it into law requiring high schoolers to take critical race theory to graduate in 2021. It could be taught explicitly or implicitly. They taught the students how to analyze school policy through critical
9: race theory. They also taught them the benefits of critical race theory. They taught them how colorblind society is not, pro- is not progressive anymore. Um, so my students, my ninth grade students, actually learned the real critical race theory. But there's also now a push to hide critical race theory and just teach all of the core tenets of critical race theory. She says the students were given a privilege quiz on day five. A privilege quiz is basically asking the kids questions that are very carefully chosen and then ranking them by privilege against their classmates. And they were asked to reflect against their privilege if they were on the top or on the bottom against their classmates. So it's just already dividing our students. She says there was also a
10: slide on Marxism, presented in a positive way.
9: Their goal in this, is, and this is also was part of the curriculum, was to decolonize America, to have a revolution. The goal of the class was, in, even in the first slide that the teacher gave the students, it said to be woke.
10: She explained that teachers were also taught concepts of critical race theory in college, so when they teach other students, it carries over. In addition, they will start noticing and pointing out elements of racism. Fontanilla suggested parents pull their kids from public schools so that schools will receive less funding, sending a message that parents do not like what their kids are being taught. She also cashed out her retirement to open her own online fully accredited K-12 school. A new law in Illinois would abolish
0: cash bail but lawmakers and law enforcement officers are sounding the alarm. The new bill is set to take effect in 2023.
4: A criminal reform bill in Illinois, known as the Safety Act, is set to go into effect on the first day of 2023, and it would abolish the cash bail system for most offenses, meaning most criminals would go free before their trial. Now local officials are sounding the alarm.
1: This includes, but isn't limited to, kidnapping, armed robbery, second-degree murder, drug-induced homicide, aggravated DUI, threatening a public official, and aggravated fleeing and eluding. Offenders released on electronic monitoring have to be in violation for 48 hours before law enforcement can act.
4: Among other things, the act will also restrict who can be arrested and make probation more likely for people convicted of some drug offenses. Supporters say this will make the criminal justice system more fair for racial minorities. An Illinois County Sheriff Peter Sopchuk, criticized the bill, saying more criminals will be let out of jails. Mayor Keith Peacock of Orland Park said, We must not allow this law to stand as passed. The Orland Village Board passed a resolution last week demanding state lawmakers address problems with the act. The Illinois governor signed the bill into law last year, making Illinois the first state in the nation to abolish cash bail. The bill also prohibits police from using certain military equipment and chokeholds and requires body cams. NTD reached out to the governor's office for comment, but didn't hear back before airtime. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News.
0: And some late breaking news. A federal jury today convicted singer R. Kelly of several child pornography and sex abuse charges in his hometown of Chicago. His two co-defendants were found not guilty on all charges. And coming up, the Upstart Live Golf Tour will have a record purse amount for their uniquely formatted end-of-season team championship event. NTD's Dave Martin has the details. to the UK, members of the public have started to pay their respects to the Queen, who's lying in state in Westminster Hall. The Queen's coffin has traveled by road from Balmoral Castle to Edinburgh before being flown to London. NTD's Jane Werrell brings us this report.
11: Queen Elizabeth II is now lying in state, her last public duty after over 70 years. Thankfully for the people who were waiting to pay their respects to the Queen today, they were waiting in the sunshine. When uh, the Queen's father, King George, died in 1952, long queues formed despite the snow. When the Queen Mother passed away in 2002, around 200,000 people attended to pay their respects. A royal procession accompanied the Queen's coffin to Westminster Hall down the Mall after leaving Buckingham Palace for the final time. Here, Prince Harry, Prince William and King Charles follow the coffin with other royals. So many people are involved in the ceremony. They've prepared for this solemn occasion for some time. Now the public can pay their respects to the Queen. The queue has stretched from Victoria Tower Gardens, which is just here, to Southwark Park many people have been queuing patiently to pay their respects to the Queen, a chance for the people to say farewell. Jane Worrell, NTD News, London.
0: And now over to sports news, here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories.
7: Live Golf's season ending team championship will include a record purse amount of $50 million. The event is scheduled for the end of October at Trump National Dora Miami. The new rules were released this week by U.S. District Court as part of their antitrust lawsuit against the PGA. The event will feature 12 four man teams vying for the top prize of $16 million, with the remaining purse split between the other teams based on rank. The top four seeds will each receive a first round bye and seeding will be determined by a closest to the pin shootout by the team captains, which happens right after the players are drafted. In NFL news, the New York Jets have announced quarterback Joe Flacco will be the week two starter. Head coach Robert Saleh said simply, Joe is our quarterback when asked Wednesday. The Jets lost 24 to nine to the Ravens Sunday and heard plenty of boos from the crowd and even chance for backup quarterback Mike White. New York will play at Cleveland this Sunday. In baseball news, Yankees hot-hitting outfielder Aaron Judge is now just four home runs away from tying the AL record of 61 set by Roger Maris back in 1961. With 20 games left in the season, the four-time All-Star is now on pace for 65 home runs, which would be known as a new clean record. Judge is more than 20 home runs ahead of his closest competitor and is also comfortably the league leader in RBIs with 123 while his 310 batting average puts him in 4th place not far behind Luis Ariza's 319. Should he leapfrog past the three leaders and take first on all three positions he'd be just the second triple crown winner in the last 55 years judge will be looking for his 58th home run tonight as the Yankees take on the Red Sox in one of nine baseball games this evening. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph.
0: Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.